Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, we come to you who spoke existence into being, and yet your very presence maintains it. Uh, Father, when I think about what's going on in the world, where your gospel is alive and thriving, where the enemy has come against your gospel and is fighting savagely, uh, I rejoice, Lord, because um, you show us great and mighty things. Father, help us to hear your word tonight. Help us who are drawn together. Help us, Lord, to bow before your word, your awesome presence. Help us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. You have an outline. If you look at your outline, you see we're beginning chapter 25. You see that in chapter 19 through chapter 24, the conclusion of 24 is the law of God given. And basically, I want you to think about the law of God given. Why is the law of God given? And it's based on 400 years earlier when God gave promises to the children of Israel to um, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, and they would be a great nation. They are the only ones that God has stepped into their lives and said, this is what I'm going to do. All right. They had come out of the land of Canaan um, through miraculous work. Uh, Joseph had gone before them. He had become part of Pharaoh's um, uh cabinet and and leading and then the rest of the family came and for 400 years the nation of israel the 12 brothers thrived hugely they thrived but the egyptians became fearful of them and so the egyptians became a world power basically on the backs of the nation of Israel. And on that back, they had gold they had amassed. They had amassed a military strength and, and food and water and abilities that they were now a world power, Egypt was. But then they turned the nation of Israel into slaves. You will do our bidding, our lowly work, our agricultural work, our herdsmanship work. You will do. You will make bricks that we will build these great edifices. You will allow us to build these great columns. You will allow us to build these great statues. And it will be on your back. And there was 400 years of waiting waiting slavery please understand the terms that i'm using slavery you will work the people listen the people were not employees the people were tools i see it today i see it today in in some industries the people become tools they are classified as employees but the employer will use them up and send them on their way or discard them. Israel, under the Egyptians, were not even that. We're not even that. Okay? So when I look at this, I see a people. I see a people who have, by another people, 
become so inept that they have absolutely no ability whatsoever to overcome their situation. You know, I I listen to people who bash this country, how evil this country is. We had slaves for 400 years. Did we have slaves for 400 years? No. And I'll be honest with you, I have never had a slave. Okay? My mom and dad never had a slave, nor did their parents ever have a slave. Okay? Um, I, I am tossed um, multiple times. My people are from the south. Say it quietly. We are southerners. Actually, I can even make it worse than that. Have you ever heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys? I'm a Hatfield. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Okay. Do you know that was fought over a pig in slavery? Oh, yeah. Whatever. Okay. And I don't want to get into it. Um, but but I, I I've never had a slave. I've never owned. A, you know what? And I'll be honest with you. I've never even had a desire for a slave. I mean, uh, gee, many crickets. I have a hard enough time taking care of myself. Why would I want a slave? Okay. And, and, and so I, I see that. And in our country, was there some brutality? Uh-huh, there was. But you know what? There was a lot of slaves who preferred it that way. They felt good. And I see slavery also under Israel. You had the ability, we looked at it, that if you wanted to stay with your master, you punch a hole in your ear because I love these people. You're still classified as a slave, but you become a bond slave. My love is so great that I want to stay with this person even though my time of service is up. Cool. Cool. So I I don't want to downplay that. But you know what I have seen in my country, especially in the last three decades? We have done more to save Islam than the Muslims have. We have tried to help them. Do you you guys remember the... uh, uh, Bosnia. Does anybody remember Bosnia? That was under uh, President Clinton. And we decided that we were going to stop. Well, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. He died in jail waiting to go to prison. Kind of funny how that works. Okay. You know what he was doing? Killing Muslims. He didn't want Muslims in his country. So he was exterminating Muslims. So we intervened. We have done more to preserve the Muslims than the Muslims had. I just heard a report that there was a, a tragic bombing in the southern part of, of, of Baghdad where they used two Downs women to explode um, personal bombs in the middle of these crowds. Okay, the retarded women. Remote control, walked into the crowd, had the bombs on them, had no idea. They were getting ready to see 76 versions. They walked in there and the Muslims blew them up. I don't think that my country has ever done that. I'm almost sure. We've done some knucklehead stuff. I don't want to ever downplay that. Okay? 
But I don't think we ever went that far. I definitely know that we never videotaped us cutting people's heads off. Okay? So you see the difference? Huge difference. And I'm trying to say it, share you with you that because this country was found on the principles of one person. One person, one individual. Lord Jesus Christ. And what you see here in chapter 25 is God taking his people. He's taken them out of Ur, a land of the Chaldeans. They've given the promise to Abraham. Abraham's seed will have the blessings of humanity upon it. And I will give you this promised land from the Euphrates down to the Red Sea, over to the Suez and up to the Mediterranean. It's all yours. You're the only person that God has said, I'm going to give you property. There's a drought there. Man takes it on his own, rolls into Egypt, takes up shop there, becomes very comfortable. What do you see? Same thing you see in all of our lives. We like to be comfortable. I don't want turmoil. Okay? God takes his people, and after 400 years, they become enslaved to those who would oppress them. And he says, I will bring you out. You have no ability to come out. I'm going to bring you out. He brings them out. Okay? And then he says, I'm going to make you a nation. All you've ever been was 12 tribes. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm even going to tell you how to divide up the land among the 12 tribes. But I need to give you some guidelines so you can work. Thus comes the what? Law of the Lord. Okay? You also get Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is how do you act in your own country, even against foreigners. This is how we're going to do it. All right? What happens to them? They move into the promised land. It's going to take them 40 years, and I'll show you why. But they move into the promised land, and in that 40 years, what happens? They start buying into the society that is around them, the other pagan religions. They start seeing pretty women and they start bringing these new women in and they start marrying these women and these women bring in their false gods. They bring them in. Add to it. I will make you a kingdom. I will bring you a king. Why? Because we want to be like everybody else. He brings them a king. And what happens? In two generations, boom, we have a divided kingdom, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. They all fall into what? idolatry they all want to worship their own way remember that phrase they want to what basically your book chapter 25 through 40 is what god says this is how you will worship me that's what it says now i'm thinking 25 through 40 He's trying to get a point across, didn't he? Yeah. He's got two chapters on creation. And chapter 25, and listen, chapter 25 through 40 of Exodus isn't the conclusion on how to worship me. Israel has their own country. They become their own king. They decide to worship God their own way. What does he do? Assyria comes in and Babylon comes in and crushes them, obliterates them, takes them into Slavery. Seventy years later, they are released. They come back to rubbles and they have to start building. That's what Nehemiah starts doing. And yet the whole time, you know what he's doing? He's promising them a 
a redeemer. He's promising them a Messiah. He's promising them someone who will come in and rule them and his influence will be so massive that it will incorporate the entire globe. Keeps promising them. They keep thinking, oh, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He sends them prophets. Don't go back to this place. Don't go to this place. Don't do this thing. Stop this part. Stop this part. Start this part. Do this thing. Do that thing. The whole time. And he finally just gets tired of them. You got the last prophet of the, uh, under the old covenant. His name is Malachi. And then all of a sudden God shuts up for 400 years. Doesn't say boo. And then you have birth of a child. Birth of a child. Even the Magi, Persians, kingmakers, they show up saying, hey, where's the king of the Jew? He will be the king of the world. And everybody gets ticked off. The Romans are mad about it. The Greeks are mad about it. And Herod is definitely upset about it. And the Jews are saying, well, wait a minute. How's come we didn't know? That's funny. Daniel knew. Nehemiah knew, Jeremiah knew, Ezekiel knew, Malachi knew, Amos knew. What happened? 400 years of silence. 400 years of God preaching through men who were called to do what? Preach the word. And then he had corrupted it. And by in that 400 years, you had books that were more important than the word of the Lord. You had the, the Talmud and the Mishnah. They guarded it more than they did the words of God. What do we do today? You have a man who's born for 33 years. He walks on the planet and for the last three years of his life, guess what happens? Death and disease stop, cease to exist as known. And man's conclusion is this guy's got to be of the devil. So they kill him exactly as God said they would. Why? Because there had to be a sacrifice. They just had to have a sacrifice. And 40 days after his resurrection, what happens? The new covenant. What is the new covenant? It's the church, the bride of Christ. God, in eternity past, before he spoke existence into being, says, I want to show my love to my son. And here's how I'm going to do it. I am going to give him a bride, a holy, blessed bride, and she will show my son my love. God the Son says, I will show my love to God my Father by taking her and making her absolutely as holy and as pure and as righteous as I am. And I will present her back to my Father. And this is before there's space. This is before there's time. This is before Genesis 1 is even considered. And that's what God's doing. That's what it does on a regular basis. But there will be a pause between the 69th week of Daniel and the 70th week of Daniel, and that will be this time of the bride of Christ. Then when she is pure, when she is lifted up to where God would have her, he will take her to the wedding feast. And down here on earth... He will take seven years and he will restore his relationship with Israel. And he will take it back 
to what you are starting to step into in in chapter 25 of the book of Exodus. But he'll only do it in seven years. In seven years. He will draw his nation back. You are my people. I am your God. I will purify you. I will lift you up. You'll be a holy nation and I will set on the throne of David. I will rule from the throne of David and all the worlds for a thousand years will come and worship in Jerusalem to you who are God's people. And if you want to know what the church is doing, then you have to hang out with me now for about another six and a half years and I should get to it. All right? In chapter 25, beginning at verse 1, through the conclusion of chapter 31, the last verse, the primary focus of these texts, 25 through 31, is the worship of a nation and the central place of this nation and the central place of this worship. I want you to come to this place. You do not come as a bunch of individuals to worship. You will come as a people. You will come to this place and you will worship me this way. Period. Okay, now remember where you're at. You're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. You got a big old honking cloud has come down on the mountaintop. And it has got lightning and there is thunder and there is trumpets. And God has already said, I don't even want the beast to touch the foot of this mountain or you stone it. No one comes up this mountain unless I call them to come up. And I want the elders to come up. I want Moses to come up. I want Aaron to come up and his two brothers. Come on up. And I would be sitting there going, I got to be talking about the other Aaron (laughs) because I know it ain't me. Because he says, you are coming into my presence and my presence is absolutely holy. And Moses says, yep, that's true. I was sitting there looking at a bush and he says, where you're standing is holy ground. God is getting ready in chapter 25 through chapter 31 to say there is a central place of worship. You will come to this place and worship. And I will tell you what it looks like. I will tell you what it's like. He says, I want you to understand. I need to prepare you. I need to prepare you for the occupation of the land. And part of the preparations of that occupation of the land is what? You are a people who worship Yahweh. And all the nations will say, they are a people who worship Yahweh. And how do you know that? Because this is the way they do it, and they are emphatic about it. And you know what? We have tried to attack them when they're having their high holy days. And you know what? God whoops our butts. I can't even get near them. Because God said, this is how you will do it, and I will bless you, period. Oh, by the way, he never asked. What do you think about this? Is this a good idea? Nope. Didn't ask. Why? The the word of God or the law of the Lord is to regulate the individual and is to regulate the nation's life. You regulate the individual, then you have control over what? The whole nation. The whole nation. And you know what? When you come under the authority of God, you prevent the exploitation of the poor. You don't have to worry about foreigners. They're taken care of. And there is a guard against idolatry and the bringing in of false god or goddesses. God says, I will protect you. 
And you know what? It was necessary. Chapter 32. What happens? They worship a golden calf. They all decide to, hey, let's go worship the fertility God. And so what he will begin to do in chapter 25 is to give in detail. Um, for me, I come from like a construction background. I look at it as a blueprint of the tabernacle. This is where you will worship me. The, all the people will camp outside all the way around the tabernacle. You will have a central place, the tabernacle. And then you know what's really cool about the tabernacle? It has a central place, the Ark of the Covenant. It's right here. And outside of that is the outer area. Outside of that is the place of the Gentiles. Is outside of that is the place of the women. Is outside of that is the Jews. And anyway, we're all going to be right here. And this is how we're going to do it. And you see it, the tabernacle transferred straight over into what is built in the temple by King Solomon. It's detail. You know what is really nice about this? It removes speculation. When people want to compare it to other civilizations or want to compare it to other religions. No, the religions have this. You can have the temple of Bacchus in Ephesus. You can have the temple of Bacchus in Athens. You can have it in Corinth. You know, the, the wine god. Let's go drink the wine god. Where? As we're going. But the Jews, Israel was said, you will come here to me. Read Revelations. Where does the focus of the universe conclude? Jerusalem. Where did the focus of the universe begin? Jerusalem. I'm starting it here. I'm ending it here. Oh, by the way, you will never lose your focus of this place. Listen, I've been to Jerusalem. There ain't nothing that spectacular about the city. There ain't anything spectacular about it. They don't, they, I didn't see any high rise. I didn't see any great, huge office buildings I didn't see great big huge churches I didn't see much anything that really thrilled me and yet that's where God said I will start it and that is where God says I will end it listen the origin of the tabernacle the place of God's worship you got to get a hold of this why do we have houses of prayer why do we have houses of prayer Oh, that would be churches for you from other places. Why do we have them? It begins in chapter 25 of Exodus. Why? I want my people gathered in one place for one focus for the times that I demand. The origin of the tabernacle was found by God. He said, this is how I want to do it. I formed this. I have founded this. This is what I want to do. And Moses delivered it. Why do we do what we do? Because God said, I will have central places where my people will come together with one focus. What is it? To worship me. 
And how do we do that? Well, we do that through the proclamation of the word. It's over and over again. But I want to look at something and I want to just kind of give this to you. And, and I'm not here to pick on you. I'll start with that right off the, the, the bat. Understand the picture that you're looking at. Two million people. Okay. Hey, listen, if you don't like that number, try 1.5. Okay. Or you can go 2.2. Okay. I'm just saying 400 years and I've got relatives. It's sort of like the world's largest family reunion that's going camping. Okay. Wahoo. Sign me up. They have, listen, been released from slavery, not bad employers. Slavery. Not only were they released from slavery, they saw the hand of God obliterate their adversaries. They even saw their adversaries come after them with all of their military might. And who drew a sword? Nobody. And God released them. Not only did God release them, remember the Egyptian says, here, take my valuables. Why? Just leave. So they did not leave vagrants. They left wealthy. They literally have gone through a place that you get a hold of this. They've left a place where they were brick builders and herdsmen. And now they are at Mount Sinai. They're out in the desert. And all of their adversaries have been literally obliterated. Their water has been given to them. Their food has been given to them. Their shelter has been given to them. They have the warmth of a fire at night and they have the clouds to keep them as they move through the desert during the day. They come to Mount Sinai and God says, I want to talk to you. And they say, whatever you say, we'll do. We'll do. Now I want to show you something. Chapter 25, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. Stop right there. That's it. That's all I want to look at tonight. Okay? A little phrase there says, whose heart moves him. Depending on your translation, uh, it may say willingly, whose free love willingly, or some phrase like that. As the heart deems necessary, freely and voluntarily. What's he going to do? What's he wanting? He's got two million people sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai and he's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to contribute to the nation's worship center. That's what God's saying. And however you're moved, however you're moved, Israel, I, I'm not saying you, you need to give a tenth. Nope. Not what he's saying. However you feel led, people. 
This is where we will worship. This is what will solidify us as a people. You know what? That's what the church is. It's a, yeah. There's a guy named B.B. Warfield. He died during just about the time of the Civil War. And a lot of people said, you know, he believed that the covenant was was done at the execution of Jesus and that the new Israel is the church. And I said, uh, why do you say that? He says, well, because when he talks about Israel in the Old Testament, he uses this phrase. He calls them the church. I said, really? And so I've got some B.B. Warfield books. I started looking at Sure enough, that's exactly what he calls them. Israel is never called Israel. It is always called the church. I can't think of one. Uh, you know, crazy people. This guy lived in Kentucky during the Civil War. What would you expect? Okay. But it dawned on me. I went back and I said, why would B.B. Warfield, this guy had some insight. Why would he call Israel the church? And then it dawned on me. When he studied the Old Testament, you know what he studied? A book called the Septuagint. You know what the Septuagint is? It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Do you know what Israel is called in the Septuagint? Fascinating phrase. Calls them the ecclesia. You know what that is? Same term you see for the church in the New Testament. Ecclesia. What? Called out ones. What was Israel? Called out ones. I called you out of the land of Ur. I called you out of Egypt. Now you are my people. You are my called out ones. You are my ecclesia. Well, that's fascinating. Interesting concept. The ecclesia has been called out of Egypt, had absolutely nothing to do with it. Truthfully, be honest with you. How many of you had anything to do with your salvation? Did you think you got it smart enough to figure it out? No. Did you do something that God says, I've got to have that one? No. Why did he save you? A very good question. Why did he save Israel? Why does he save anybody? Because he's God and he wants to. And I don't care who it is. I don't care what it is. He will save that that he wants. I mean, the psalmist says he has the, the rose, the cactus rose bloom in the desert. Why? For his good pleasure. Who else sees it? Nobody. Nobody goes running around in the desert to see cactus bloom. But God sees all. And it's for his good pleasure. Why does he redeem people? It is for his good pleasure. He says, I'm calling you Israel. Moses, tell the people they have an opportunity to contribute to the nation's worship center. And then I'm going to give you a list of 14 components and some materials that will be needed to build this tabernacle where I will commune with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Okay. 
How much do they got? Well, Exodus 12, 35 and 36 says that the Egyptians was giving them every piece of gold and silver that they could because just leave. Things are going down the toilet here and I just assume you go, go away. But I want to show you something because as a pastor, I don't know that I've ever experienced this, but this is fascinating. Go over to chapter 35. Verse 21, because he goes through a big old list and then the people respond. I mean, he talks about this place. What am I going to build? The construction of the the tabernacle. What will the prayer of Moses look like? The repentance of the people. Um, he, He will deal with the intercession. Who will build this? What will the incense be like? What will the sign of the Sabbath be? The anointing oil, the laver. What will the altar of incense be like? What will be the atonement of money look like? What will the priest's consecration look like? I mean, he's covering it. The ark and the mercy seat, the table of the bread, the lampstand, the curtains, everything in this thing he says this is how it will be done that's what they call detail detail and then after he gets done laying out all the detail he says let the people give verse 21 here's what he says of chapter 35 everyone whose heart was stirred in him okay remember this ain't the 10% Okay, this is people saying, look what God has done. And now he's saying we can be a part of the place that the nation will worship him. Interesting concept. The hearts were served and everyone whose spirit was moved, uh, him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of the meeting. That's the tabernacle. And for all of its service and for all of its holy garments. Then all of those whose hearts were moved, here we go, bunch of people brought material. Then all those whose hearts were moved, both men and women, they came and they brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets and all the articles of golds. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to Yahweh. Every man, two million, or 1.1, however you want to cut it. Every man who had in his possession blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and porpoise skins brought them. Everyone who could make contributions of silver and of bronze brought Yahweh's contribution. Every man who had in his possession acacia wood for the work of service brought it. The skilled women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet material and in fine linen. All the women whose heart stirred with a skill spun the goat's hair. The rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones of the setting of the ephod and the breast piece and the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing and the oil and the fragrant incense. Okay? Everybody was moved. I don't know I mean. 
mean, let's be realistic. We're all sitting at the Mount of Sinai. You got thunder and lightning and you're just sort of like, oh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Okay. Everybody start bringing. What did it look like? Go to chapter 36, verse 3. They received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to the, perform the work in the construction of the sanctuary. This is this tent. And they still continued bringing to him free will offerings. When? Every morning. And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he had performed. And they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which Yahweh has commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated through the camp. Now you got to understand, through the camp, two million campers. Proclamation was circulated to the camp saying, let neither man nor woman any longer perform work for the contribution of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. For the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to be performed. Moses literally had to say, hey, stop. I've got too much gold. I've got too much onyx. I've got too much material. I've got too much silver. I've got too much acacia wood. We don't have a place for it. Nor when we get the tabernacle built, we're going to have all this left over. I ain't never seen that in a church. No, I can't say that. I have, actually. I did see it one time. They were trying to get some chairs. They didn't have enough chairs for a seminary building that they were building. And um, the cry came out to stop. I remember that from the pulpit. They were counting the money that was given to buy these chairs. And they said, stop. One other time, in this fellowship, we had a balloon payment show up. Uh, we didn't even know it was coming. No, nobody went. So it's the leadership of this church, huh? And all of a sudden, we had uh, 65 days to come up with $35,000. And we were, we're about the same size we are today. <laughs> That's like 12 years. No. And so I brought it to the fellowship and I said, hey, uh, we got to come up with an extra. 30,000 in three months. Um, help. Uh, I mean, the person who carried the note would have been more than kind to, to probably carry us. But, you know, all of a sudden this note showed up and we had to take care of it. Um, and it exceeded within uh, 30 days what was needed. We paid it off two months ahead of time, actually. Okay, and I, we had a, a, a precious saint who, who, who was sitting there with his checkbook and he says, how much you need? And I said, looks about five grand. He says, is that what you need? And I said, I said, well, I don't know yet. They're counting. 
And I came back. I said, "Well, no, it looks like about three grand." He said, "I can give you three grand." Well, okay. What do you need? And he he just kept waiting, and he ended up writing a check for fifteen hundred to finish it off. But he was ready to pay off what was left. That's what this text is. God says, "People, I am Yahweh. I will give you a chance to be involved in what I do. What will you give?" of your own free will. You decide. Here was a group of people who were slaves, brick builders, tools in the hand of another country who were released from that bondage. And in that releasing from that bondage, they were given the wealth of that country. And then God said, oh, by the way, I'll take care of you. Well, the military is going to kill us. That's all right, I'll drown them. No worries. You don't have to fear. I've got you covered. Now I ask you tonight, what has God given you? And what would you withhold from God for His work? I mean, I don't like preaching on giving. I really don't. Uh, I, I, I just had a meeting the other day. Uh, Stephanie was there on a person wanting to know about tithing. Do you tithe? I said, me? No, not really. You're the pastor and you don't tithe? Mm-hmm. Never have. Why? He's worth more than that. He's worth more than that. Why? Let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ never gave you anything except eternal life, what do you owe Him? What can you give him? Better yet, what can you withhold from him? And I'm not here to throw a guilt trip on you. I'm looking at a group here. And you know what? I've had people, and I read a couple commentaries on this that said, well, it was easy for them to give because they had been gotten all of this stuff from the Egyptians. <laughs> yeah, guess so. What do you do with the skilled workers? Because what they were given was time. They were given time. I have time. I will weave this. I will sew this. I will carve this. I will beat this metal into angels that will sit on the mercy seat. And then you start looking at it and you say, well, how much did they get? Enough that Moses had to say, you got to stop. You got to stop. You got to stop. It's an amazing text, don't you think? To know that shortly thereafter they will build a golden calf and try to worship their own way, they will get broken of this in about 400 years. After the Babylonian captivity, you'll never see a time when Israel falls into idolatry. They may be secular, they may be pragmatist, but they serve Yahweh, and you ain't going to give them anything else. That's why they don't get along with their neighbors. Okay? Don't you find that fascinating? So so you kind of see why I said I can only do one verse. God says, as your heart 
is led, give. I'm only going to make a tent. Temporary vessel. Paul tells us that we are in these earthen tents. My question tonight would be this. When it comes to the things of the Lord, do I give guardedly or do I give freely? Why? The text says, from every man whose heart moves him. I think about these people standing at the foot of Mount Sinai with all the wealth that has been given them, their freedom intact, God leading them to the promised land, God taking you and I, taking us out of the slavery of sin, putting us in the kingdom of righteousness, removing us from this mundane, everyday temporal thing that will suck the life out of you and say goodbye and good riddance at your death. And he will raise you to the right hand of God the Father, to the glory of Jesus Christ, where the angels will sing, Hallelujah! The saint is home! Where Jesus Christ will look at you and say, Well done, true and faithful servant! What will I give him now? And Paul says, I'm not my own. I've been bought and paid for with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And yet we get so wrapped up in what? In what? I want to go to Mount Sinai. I'll stand at the foot of it and say, freely, I give you all of it. I give you all of it. That's my goal. And you say, I don't even want it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's he doing here? No. You think about it. When you think about the nation of Israel and the slavery and the bondage that they were under, you think about where you were before your salvation and where you're at right now and ask yourself a, a question. If God says, this is the work I'm going to do, you give as you feel freely heart given. How you feel? If your heart feels like it, give. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. See the difference? See the difference? I give it all. I, 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 my prayer for the church, my prayer for the church is that one day she wakes up and realizes at Mount Sinai, what was given to you? What was given to every single child of God who stands in the body of Christ this day? And you know what? I made this statement to the person that I was meeting with that said, you know what? No, nah, I don't really believe in the tithe. I said, the Bible teaches it, and I think that anything short of the tie is stealing. But everything I have, where'd you get it? Please don't think that you really worked for it. If you have an education, where did you get the brain to have the education? If you have a husband or a wife that has moved you into a position, where did that come from? providence of God. God gave it to you. And the resources were God's. The blessings were God's. The promises were God's. And you know what? I look at whatever I have on this planet as I am but just a steward of it. God has given me a time with it. And, you know, I, I was talking to a financial planner guy 
and he loves me. He's a, he's a, he's a prayer warrior. And he says, well, what are your goals at your death? What would you like to see? I said, oh, that's easy. And he said, what? I said, zero balance. He said, what? I said, I came in with nothing. I would prefer to leave with nothing. Nothing gained, nor nothing owed. So I've never heard that from anybody. Well, what about your kids? What about my kids? See, I can say that they're not hearing that. You know what? I work for my living. They can work for their living. Give it to the king. Watch him do what he does, and he'll take care of you until the day you exit stage left. Actually, I guess it's exit stage up. Okay? I don't need a retirement. I have a retirement. <laughs> Got it? Let us not let us not stumble as Israel did at Sinai. We don't need a golden calf. We don't need a golden calf. We need willing hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for for Israel. Father, this, this people was given to us as the conduit that the Savior of the world would come through. And yet, Father, they were also given to us as an illustration of what to do and sometimes what not to do. Father, we bow before you. We rest before you, understanding that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, I just praise you. I praise you for this time. I praise you for the work. Father, I praise you for these precious people who are here this night to hear your words. Father, this is tough. And yet, Father, I watch it and I hear it. It makes me smile. And yet, Father, how much greater the smile must have been to you. Help us, Father, to walk in a manner worthy to your glory and praise. Amen.